Good morning. To our guests, we are in a series of lessons on a manner of speaking. Uh, last week, we talked about how words have the power of life and death, and we want to continue our study this morning. 2018 was the deadliest and most destructive wildfire season in California, but you know that already. I was reading some of the statistics. There was one fire, you might remember, called the Campfire. It was responsible for 86 deaths, all-time record. Next closest was 25 deaths. These fires burned almost 2 million acres, almost uh, more than $3.5 billion in damages. Kind of hard for us to wrap our brain around wildfires like that. We see it on the screen, we watch it on the news, and it's kind of hard to imagine all of that, the size of the impact. And yet we know their beginning is very small. It's very simple. There's always that question, well, how did it start? And so they do an investigation. They want to know because it's so important. One article I read said, in searching for the cause of the wildfire, every tiny pebble can be an important clue that said, on which side was it blackened by heat? What's the condition of the soil below the fire at the place it started? An electrical charge from a high-voltage power line, for example, can solidify sand with a telltale signature. Then investigators look at things that were touched by the flames but not destroyed. If you're looking at some trees, you look at the angle of the char, the way the needles froze in the heat. Then you say the fire spread from right to left, said James Engel, the deputy chief of law enforcement and fire prevention at the Northern Division of California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection. He said other causes will also be considered from a tall cigarette to a lawnmower blade sparking a rock or a hot vehicle tailpipe. Because all that devastation, all those lives lost, homes destroyed, businesses ruined, it all begins with a spark. I share that just as a way to illustrate and bring to mind the word James used when he was writing to talk about the power of the tongue. And he says it's like, a, uh, it's like a spark. Open your Bibles to James chapter 3. That's going to be our text for our lesson today and part of our study tonight. James uses several word pictures, actually, to illustrate the power of the tongue. He starts off by talking about bridling the tongue in chapter 1. And he gets into a little more detail. talks about the bit that goes into the horse's mouth, that it controls the horse by that one little bit that goes in the mouth. And then he talked about the small rudder that controls the giant ship. And then he compared the tongue to the spark, verses 5 and 6. It's on the screen. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell." James uses some strong language here and makes the point as strongly as he can that our words have power. They're significant. They're a significant part of our speech. And our tongues have the power of life and have the power of death. With our words, he talks about it's like a spark. And it gets out of control. And then you have this wildfire that's doing all kinds of damage. And yet it's a small thing. It's disproportionately small. And we tend to not think of it as having that much power. You may have heard that the tongue is the strongest muscle in the body. Did you know that? Well, I looked it up. It's not true. 
but it is a powerful muscle. In fact, it's not just one muscle. You may know this already. It's a conglomeration of eight muscles. According to Maureen Stone of the University of Maryland School of Dentistry, she speculates the myth that the tongue's strength arose from its amazing stamina in the precision tasks like eating and speaking. Quote, when's the last time your tongue was tired? She asked, if you don't have any disorders, the answer is probably never. Do you ever think about that? That your tongue doesn't get tired. Now, your brain may not feel like talking, or your jaw might get tired, but not the tongue. I mentioned last week that we talk on average 16,000 words a day, and of course, some people much more than that, 30 conversations a day on average. But no matter how much you use your tongue, it doesn't get fatigued. You know, we were having two worship times, and I was speaking at both of those and, and teaching the Bible class and all the talking in between. When I finally got home, I was tired. I was really tired, but not the tongue. For those of you who teach for a living like teachers, your body may be tired, your back may hurt, your feet may hurt, but your tongue doesn't get sore. You ever thought about that? Your tongue doesn't get tired. But there's something about the tongue as a muscle that it doesn't get tired. James says it's like a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a force instead of blaze, but such a small fire. And we don't have to look far or hard to see how right he is. You think about history. Throughout history, somebody used a careless word. Or maybe in a speech, they used hateful words or threatening words or slanderous words. Erupted into a, a fight and then a war. But it began with words. We see this truth every day. The Oscar show is without a host because of words. Did you see on the news where the meteorologist in Rochester lost his job because of one word? A professional for 20 years said one word, lost his job, never given a chance to even apologize on air. We... We've all seen it in a couple, a marriage that we know is in trouble, and all we see, or really hear, are the words, the way they talk to each other. And it's enough to let you know the relationship is in trouble. Just words, because it's impossible to have a good relationship when you're using the wrong words. Not just the children, I mean, not just the marriage, but also the children family. Everybody sees it. Even at work, everything's going good. And then somebody new comes into the mix. And next thing you know, there's complaining and arguing and backbiting and all this. Wait, did you, didn't used to be this way. And that one person can just bring it all down. Words can turn neighbors into enemies. Words can divide churches. Someone is angry. Somebody's hurt. And their words become careless. They gossip. They become critical. They complain. They create dissension. They divide the body of Christ. I can't help but think this must have been going on when James wrote this letter because he hits it so strong. He hits it head on. If you, if you know your history here, James is a leader in the, in the Jerusalem church. So he writes to remind the first century church about the power of words. In fact, in the first chapter, he makes a very blunt statement about the words we speak, James 1.26. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. I put it on the screen, the Living Bible. Anyone who says he's a Christian but doesn't control his sharp tongue is just fooling himself, and his religion isn't worth much. 
If we claim to be a follower of Christ, but your mouth is out of control, it's worthless. That's what James is saying here. Strong words. If there's ever a way for people to know that we belong to Jesus, it should be in the way we speak, in the words we choose, and how we react to these situations. Otherwise, we send to, to non-believers a mixed message, if not the wrong message. You cannot love God as God says to, and then love people by treating them this way. You're not loving them at all. James 3, 9, still talking about the tongue. James continues, with it we bless our Lord and Father. With it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. God knows this, and people see it too. You can talk about your faith, but if you're being critical of people made in his God image, Even those who don't believe, or if their faith is weak, they see the inconsistency. Look at verse 10. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So James uses these real-life word pictures to help us see the power at work. When you don't watch what you say, when you choose to tear down and discourage and and criticize and mumble and complain, and then use that same mouth to praise God, even a non-believer says, that shouldn't be. We know it shouldn't be. It doesn't work. It doesn't work with God. You can't come to church and sing praying songs to Jesus And then get in your car and you sing along with music that lyrics downplay, if not just outright endorse, the very sins that Jesus died for. You can't do that. You can't in one moment talk about your faith in God and with the same mouth turn around and gossip about people. You can't do that. You can't come to worship and sing praises to God and with the same mouth criticize his bride, the church, and grumble and complain. But we do. You do. I do. We're all guilty. We are so inconsistent. I put that on the screen. You might want to fill that in. Maybe I am so inconsistent. That is the frustration of the tongue. That's why James just kind of hits this hard. And notice the illustration he uses, the bit in the horse's mouth, the rudder of the ship, that spark that causes the fire. You read through these. And you might think, well, you know, that's really not a part of the whole. The bit is not really the horse. That's just something in the mouth. The rudder is not really a part of the ship. Even the spark is not the fire. It's just the spark. I think we may treat the tongue in the same way, like it's not part of me. Like we say something, and then we think, well, my tongue got the best of me. When I read through this chapter in James, I can't help but sense some frustration. So he states the obvious and uses all these real life, just everyday word pictures to help us understand. But then he says, it's lit on fire by hell. A strong language. I think James is frustrated. And maybe you can share in that frustration because you've done the very same thing he's described. You want to praise God. You want to do good. You want to use your mouth to uplift and build up and encourage. But then there's times when you don't. There's times when you blow it. You say something to someone. In that split second, you ask yourself, where did that come from? You're in traffic. 
tense. Someone just pulls right in front of you without even a signal, and you just lose it. You say it. Where did that come from? Maybe you lose your temper with your coworker, maybe your spouse, maybe with your kids. You blow up, and you wonder, where does that come from? Where does that come from? That is an answer that we need to answer. We need to find what the answer to that is. And the Bible tells us the answer, but it's an answer that we may not want to hear because he's going to not just step on our toes. He's going to sit in our lap. Because according to the Bible, it's not really a big mystery. It's not really a surprise. It's not as unintentional as we sometimes play it off to be. Like, where did that come from? Like, we're shocked by that. Those words, your tone, it's all coming from somewhere. James hints at this, James 3, verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. But Jesus was much more specific in addressing the speech problem. In Luke chapter 6, Luke tells how Jesus was teaching a great multitude, and he gave some commands about, this is what it's going to be like if you follow me. And he shares some things that are kind of tough. Like Luke 6, 28, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. He's not saying there that it's okay to sarcastically say to somebody, well, bless their heart. Because we know that's just a southern way of calling somebody a buffoon, right? He's talking about what you mean down deep. You authentically, sincerely wish them well in your heart. And you verbally say good things about them. You mention them by name in your prayer to God, asking him to do good things to them and for them. And you mean it. That's a tough command. A few verses later, Jesus challenges his followers not to be judgmental of others, but to be forgiving toward other people. See, Jesus knows it's more than just saying the right words and not saying the wrong words. Jesus answers the question, where does that come from? By dealing with it very specifically, Luke chapter 6, verse 43 and 45. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does the bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. And if that's not blunt enough, he says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, we all know Jesus is 100% correct on this. In fact, you've heard this before. That's why I'm calling this lesson, it's in you. Manner of speaking, it's in you. All this stuff constantly, this ugly stuff constantly going into our minds, our heart. And then for some reason, we see surprised when it comes out of our mouths. There's a Greek word for that. Did you know it? It's called duh. Why are we surprised? All this ugly is going in, and then it comes out. It just happens. We spend so much time and energy soaking up all the wrong things. And as James talks about here, it's like planting seeds. We're around people talking filth. We watch movies. We read books. We hear filth constantly. And not just curse words or four-letter words. Constant criticism. Disrespect, biting, mean, ugly. 
There may be clean words in what they're saying, but the attitude is ugly. And the spirit is ugly. And it all goes in. We're just soaking it in like sponges. And then we seem shocked when it comes out of us. Jesus says our mouth problem is a heart problem. Our tongue problem is a heart problem. So don't look at your tongue and and say, where did that come from? It's in you. It's a part of who you are. Your tongue is simply an opening revealing the contents of what's down deep. So don't be shocked at that. That meanness, that ugliness, that anger, that bitterness, whatever it is, it's in you. The challenge is real. I say for us probably as much as ever because in our culture, we are not used to something going in. We are not used to something going in. There's something always. We're not quiet at all. There's music. There's a screen. There's TV. There's something going in. We're we're not there yet. Let's go back a, a slide if you don't mind. Music, movies, news, social media, texting. Think about it. We've got TV screens all over the house, in our cars. We have little computers in our phones. We give them to our children at younger and younger ages. But don't just think of kids or teens having trouble with this. Older people do too. Maybe because you have more idle time, more free time. And here's what both young and old both share. We justify and we minimize the impact that all of this has on us. We're like sponges totally taking all of this in. Say, I'm just watching a movie. Doesn't make that much of a difference. I'm just catching up on Facebook, Instagram, just listening to a song. I don't really pay attention to the lyrics. Fred and I were talking about that last week after the sermon. I've said that. He said that. You've said that. Just listen to the lyrics. You mature a little bit, look back, think, how could I have listened to that filth? It's true. Jesus would say to all of us, young and old, no, sorry, it doesn't work that way. You can't take in all this ugly, all this dirt, all this filth into your heart and not expect it to come out because it will. What you put in will come out in your life. And for some, it's not just what you put in. For some, it's what others put in to you. Was it your choice? It was how you were brought up. It's the way your parents spoke to you. And these words, they go in. Ask any elementary teacher, and they will tell you they hear young children say words they should never be exposed to. Happens all the time. Those seeds are planted in those young souls, and in time they start to bear fruit. Jesus says all of this is coming from your heart. It's in you. And he wants us to realize, to know that it happens more than we realize. That the, the mouth bears fruit with what's planted in the heart. Jesus constantly said this, Matthew 12, 34, same words exactly. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Matthew 15, 18. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles the person. So the next time something spews out of your mouth, and you have that split-second thought of, where did that come from? Remember, Jesus answered that question. It comes from within. It's in you. It's in your heart. Proverbs says the tongue is the power of life and death. James says words have power. The smallest tongue can do an amazing damage. 
Jesus says, your words come from your heart. It's in you. So the question next becomes, what am I allowing in my heart? What am I allowing in my heart? What are you putting in your heart? Proverbs 4, 23, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Everything flows from your heart. Your speech flows from your heart. I think it's good for us to understand in this culture, when the word heart was used this way, it's talking about the very core, the center of your being, that all the spokes of life come from. So you guard that core, you guard that center, because whatever you do, that's going to come out. So let me close with this. I put it on your outline. It's going to be on the screen as well. A box with two categories of words that the Bible describes. On one side is words of death. Those sparks that become a a great fire. Words of death. Think for a moment if these words describe the way you speak. Angry words. Complaining words. Harsh words. Resentful words, negative words, judgmental words, gossip words, critical words. You may think of others to put in the box. How much do these words describe the way you talk? How often, when you go to talk, are you pulling from that category of terms? On the other side would be gracious words, words of life. So instead of complaining, you're speaking uplifting words. Instead of harsh words, it's tender and kind words, positive words, compassionate words, words of blessing rather than words of gossip. When you're talking about other people, do your words give grace? Do your words build up? Do you intentionally think about what you're saying about others and you choose from words of life? Or is your default to be critical and even gossip? So from which column do you choose your words? Well, you may not be the best person to answer that question. And maybe the person sitting next to you. But if you dare ask them to evaluate which column you choose from, you better hope they're going to choose gracious words to answer that. But really and truly, if you ask your family, your, your core of people, your close friends, the people that you work closest with, that see you in stress day in, day out, sometimes more hours than you see your family, what would they say about the words you speak? Now, we know most of us don't intend to be. We don't want to be this way. We don't want to be angry. We don't want to be critical or negative. We don't want to be the one who's grumbling or complaining all the time. We don't want to be judgmental. Nobody wants that. I don't think so. I don't even wake up in the morning and go, I'm just going to be an ugly person today. I don't think that we, we deliberately choose that. But most of the time, you want to speak grace and kindness. And maybe most of the time you do. Maybe you do well at this. But even as you say that, you realize there's a few people that know just how to push the button. Have you got any of those in your life? For the most part, you do well with this, but there's just a handful, and they can just push my button, and it, it, just, it just comes out. If they would stop, I would stop. If they would change, I would change. But even then, I'm telling you, actually, Jesus is telling you, what's coming out of you is what's in there. It's coming from the heart. I want you to think about What kind of heart allows us to speak with grace? 
I want to make sure we get this. This is our takeaway. Jesus says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So how does that work? Really and truly, from a practical standpoint, well, from a heart filled with bitterness, we'll speak angry words. See, it's not always bitterness. Sometimes it's fear. Sometimes it's guilt. Other emotions that come out. But a heart filled with bitterness will speak angry words. So when you hear yourself speaking angry words, or you hear someone else speaking those angry words, there's a good chance there's something else down deep, like bitterness, resentment. But a heart that's filled with forgiveness will speak gracious words. And the Bible makes this connection over and over again. It's because we've received the grace of God. We have been forgiven. And because we're so overwhelmed with God's grace that we are in turn able to give grace to others. We are forgiven. That's what motivates us then to choose to speak words of life. When I'm aware of that grace that's given to me, that's a seed that's not just planted in my heart, it's taken over my heart. It's going to help me then to choose the right words. It's going to flow out of my life. What about this? A heart filled with entitlement. Entitlement. You're going to hear complaining words. But a heart filled with gratitude will speak uplifting, grateful words. So when somebody is complaining a lot, there's almost always, down deep, it may be masqueraded a bit or hidden, but there's a sense of entitlement there. Because they don't have a heart of thanksgiving. They're thinking, I should have had that. They're thinking, that's not fair. So they have a heart of discontentment and entitlement. And their tongue reveals it. Rather than gratitude, those ugly words come out. A heart filled with guilt will speak harsh words, condemning words. You've got that shame, you're going to pull others down with you. The The heart becomes hard, walls go up. When you become hard-hearted, your words become hard, harsh, cold. But when your heart's filled with peace and joy, think about all the fruit of the Spirit, then that comes out. And you give kind and tender words. A heart filled with rejection speaks resentful words. Maybe you've experienced this. You've been rejected. Your heart's been rejected. And it wasn't your choice. It was done to you. And there's pain associated with that. And your resentment comes out in the way you speak. But a heart that's filled with acceptance will speak kind words. When you understand, when you fully grasp it is only through Jesus Christ that God has accepted you, forgiven all your sin, then you in turn, by planting that seed in your heart, it will bear fruit that you can choose words of life to speak to other people. Because your heart grows that direction. And you can speak affirming words. A heart filled with grumbling speaks negative words. Yet a heart filled with thanksgiving will speak positive words. A heart filled with condemnation speaks judgmental words. Yet a heart filled with love speaks compassionate words. A heart filled with jealousy or insecurity will speak words of gossip. Yet a heart filled with contentment speaks words of blessing. A heart filled with self-righteousness speaks critical words. Yet a heart filled with hope speaks encouraging words. I was putting all this together and I thought, I know what you're thinking because it's what I was thinking. There are times 
when you, you need to correct someone. Okay? There are times when somebody needs to be told. And you don't want to just be all Pollyanna and say everything's fine and dandy when everything's not fine and dandy. There's times when you need to talk about a problem. You don't want maybe your child to get the big head or, or maybe an employee to think that's acceptable. You have to kind of tell them where the line is. I understand that. I think we all understand that. Please understand, all of this is not being idealistic. This is being realistic. Even the Apostle Paul, when he would write to a church to to correct a false teaching or a sinful practice, he would often, you know his practice, he would open the letter with loving, kind words to encourage them. And then he would speak to whatever the problem was. And we also know the other end of that, there are some people, they can say all the kind, sweet words that are ever known to man and not mean a word of it. You know what I'm talking about? People can do that as well. And we know that. I think most people know when you are sincerely trying to encourage them or you're just being critical. Most of us can spot it when somebody is just saying the words But they really don't mean them because it flows from the heart. It's an issue of the heart. It's what's coming from the heart. One of the best shepherds I've ever known was Alec Jackson from the Landmark Church in Montgomery. He was young as elders go. I had two uh, young people in, in my youth group, two teenagers. Alec's He didn't have a lot of formal training, didn't have a a college degree, um, not an elaborate vocabulary, kind of a plain-spoken kind of guy. But Alec had the way to correct you with love, and it was amazing to watch. It was amazing to experience. Because he would call you out when you blew it, when you overstepped the line, but there was no doubt that he was your fan. And that he loved you. And that he was on your side. And that he wanted you to make it. So you would get a verbal butt chewing. I just said that. (laughs) But you were thankful for it. I'm telling you about somebody who did that to me. You're thinking about somebody who did that to you. That is somebody whose heart is full of love, full of God. And when they see a situation... Their heart, it comes out. Some of you really need to hear this. There are some people in your life who are desperate for you to hear this. If they're in the room, they're thinking, I hope she's listening. I hope he gets it. Or maybe you're thinking about somebody who's not here and thinking, how can I get them a copy of this? They need this message, and and, and maybe so. But first, will you spend some time with God? Say, how much, God, do I need to get this? How much do I need to learn this, hear this? When the end of your life comes and you stand before the Lord, you may not go to heaven to be with God forever because you deny Jesus. You may lose your soul because of some sin, but really, whatever it is, it, again, it all goes back to the heart. 
Where's your heart? Always been, always will be a heart issue. One last verse, Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart, says God, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Ultimately, that's what Jesus came to earth for. That's why he died, not to make us good little boys and girls who know all the magic words to say. Because you can say all the magic words, all the right words, and still have an ugly heart. God knows that too. God wants to put a new heart in you. And the only way you can do that is when his spirit comes to live inside. That's why he asks us to be baptized so our sins are washed away. He gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's not just a new start. It's a new power at play. And the word comes to light within us. And we're constantly corrected what it means to follow Jesus. And he promises to never leave us. He'll go prepare a place for us. He's going to come back. So you don't have to fret. You don't have to worry about your salvation because you know you belong to him because you've given him your heart. This morning, if you're ready to be baptized, this invitation song is for you. Or if we can just pray for you, whatever it is you're dealing with, or especially if it's this problem, we'll come alongside you and say, we understand because it's a frustration, it's a challenge for us as well, and we want to help each other go to heaven. Once you come as we stand and sing to encourage you.